iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome from MovieLine.com our moderator for this evening, Stu Van Aersdale, and filmmaker Todd Phillips. Let's hear it for him. How's it going? Uh, thank you very much for coming out on a Friday evening. Very pleased to have you here uh, to meet Todd Phillips. How are you, Todd? Very good. Thank you for coming out here. Um, we've been out in New York just doing press and doing screenings, and then somebody said you do this event at the Apple Store, and it sounded cool. And um, yeah, very good. Very excited. The movie opens in a week, and we'll see. Awesome. You've got some extraordinarily good buzz going around this film right now. It's kind of out of control. Was there ever a time when you were on the set where you realized as a director, you know, we actually, we really have something here? I mean, was there a specific moment or scene? You know, not really. I think as a, as a, certainly when you do comedies, you never know what you have until you show it to an audience. And um, you always feel like this is not working. This doesn't make sense. Even in the editing and the... You're just like, I wonder if this even makes any sense at all. And then once you start showing it to audiences and you hear 400 people in a room all laughing at one time is, is when it really sort of, you feel like, okay, you start getting confidence. And the movie really has um, oddly been building a real good buzz on it. And, and um, you know, for there's no real stars in it. And it's, it's one of those films. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and there was, I guess, there's been talk about, like, a particular screening, like a test screen or something that was just an amazing hit. Were you at that screening? Do you remember, like, the first time you saw it with an audience? And well, yeah, of course. No, he was at, you get all those test screenings, and I, I, they've all been played pretty well, but I think the, maybe the one you're referring to is the first one we do for the studio, which is really the second or third time we screen the film. And, um, yeah, it's always just been, you know, I, I did another movie called Old School, and um, <laughs> thank you. And this sort of... Uh, <laughs> This har these screenings harken back to that in that it, it plays like a like a rock concert with when there's 400 people it's a little different here <laughs> but when there's 400 people in a crowded theater and they're just ready to laugh it uh, it really plays like a rock concert and it has a really good vibe to it. Um, speaking of old school and 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 a lot of the the narrative films you made I mean you basically are a filmmaker you made movies about guys ensembles of guys and kind of how guys behave together and relationships between men and when you got the script for The Hangover. Did you, was there ever a time when you looked at it and said, you know, I've kind of done this? Or did you just know that you had to do it? Well, what I liked about this script was not so much that I felt like I did it. What I liked about it was doing a movie about an, an event without ever seeing the event. In a, in, a, in a weird way, this movie's about a bachelor party, but you never see the bachelor party. And, and I like the idea of, of telling a story. Um, it was almost like a detective story. Uh, it starts at the end, the film, structurally, and little clues lead you into what, what happened. And that was the part that appealed. I mean, I also, yes, I do movies about guys, and that's a whole different thing I've been wrestling with my whole life. <laughs> you know, but but uh, it, it, it was more the structure and the storytelling part of it that was appealing. Because that was what struck me about, was that it is a, de a detective story. And it's a comedy, of course, but it's a detective story. It's, it's, these are guys on a quest, you know? And, and I guess, you know, were there any specific influence you had as a director, like telling a detective story, something nonlinear, kind of, uh, you know, out of... Uh, no, I mean, I had a ton of influences when I was younger. I mean, I grew up on comedies like Stripes and, you know, Blues Brothers and sort of men-on-a-mission comedies that I always found really appealing. And um, so it wasn't so much the, the detective stuff that, that was interesting to me. It was a fun way to tell a comedy and a fun way to kind of introduce set pieces and introduce characters and reveal things kind of backwards. I always say it's like Memento for uh, 
dumb guys. <laughs> I never really fully understood Memento. I can't follow it, but <laughs> this one's a little easier, but it's the same kind of principle. Starts at the end and you sort of just piece it together. Did you ever have any bachelor party experiences of your own that kind of informed uh, the uh, scenario here? No, I mean, you know, all my movies tend to be about guys and about sort of these weird male rituals of bonding, whether it's old school and fraternities, or I did a movie called Road Trip before that, and, and this film. And it's more because I, I grew up with women only. I didn't have a dad, and I grew up with three women, and I, I've never really understood fully men's relationship with each other. And I also always find it uniquely awkward, the relationship between heterosexual guys. And there's never the intimacy that women have in their relationships. And when there is, it's really awkward. So it's just been something I, I kind of find as a good starting point for comedy. Those films have been, I mean, more and more of them are coming out. Obviously, the Apato brand and you know, uh, the bromance that we all hear about. I mean, what do you make of kind of the advancement of that genre and the expansion of it and the popularity of it as well? Well, again, I don't think it's a new thing. I think if you look back at Animal House and Stripes and Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters and all those movies were the same thing. They're kind of bromance, men on a mission kind of movies. I mean, the Apatow stuff, which I love, to me are sometimes can be... They're a little more sentimental than, than probably my movies, and, and they're a little more, more ironic. I don't really do irony either. It's like memento. I don't get it. <laughs> it goes over my head. <laughs> the stuff is just sort of plain funny. But I do think that, like, I Love You, Man, which was not an Apatow movie, but a really well done, really um, one of those bromance things. I don't, I don't know. I guess things just go in cycles. But it does feel like comedy is definitely... You know, everything oddly, and people don't realize this, I think, about movies... Uh, the business so much, everything really revolves around casting and, and castability and like, you know, Judd, for instance, has some really funny guys that he likes to work with and you kind of build projects sometimes around guys and in this film, a lot of you probably don't know who Zach Galifianakis is or maybe you do, but I think after this movie comes out, people are really going to start to notice him and he'd been somebody I always wanted to work with, uh, just being a fan of his stand-up and, and the things he does in L.A. He, he's a brilliant stand-up comic, and he really... It's not even stand-up because it's more like performance art. And it's never really been something easy to translate into a movie. So really what appealed to me about this film, even more than that kind of backward storytelling, was the castability of it. And I thought, oh, this is a great role where I could take this character and make him more left-footed and more out of step and, and do it for Zach. Yeah, well, let's talk about the casting, especially with Zach. How did... I mean, you've been a fan, and... You get the script, and was there a, uh, a character? I mean, did you know he was going to be this character? Did you know this is the one for him, or did you? Well, in the script, there wasn't this character, and there wasn't even the brother-in-law. But when you you know you get a script, and you kind of just rework it, and, and you start really tailoring it for actors, and, and that's where I feel like movies really get written is when you start attaching actors and, and start shaping it more for them. And um, with this one, there wasn't a brother-in-law. Zach's the bearded guy, and he plays a brother-in-law who doesn't really belong on this trip, but... He's got to go because the bride tells her husband-to-be, you should take my brother, that kind of thing. And he's kind of the third or fourth wheel, however you want to see it. And um, I, I, so we made that character, that choice, once I said, I'm going to get Zach to do this. And that came from Warner Brothers allowing us to, you know, like another little movie thing is like, if you can make a movie for a certain price, if you can hit a certain number, you can do whatever you want. So I've sort of managed to with movies stay at that number and they go you can cast whoever you want you can make it r-rated and we'll see at the first test screening just go so that's very important to me then you would be able to and by the way judd does that brilliantly with like putting seth rogan who nobody knew in knocked up or you know the guys in super bad 
um, a few other cast members. Ed Helms is a potentially breakout film for him too. Can you talk about casting him? And well, Ed is somebody I, I lived in New York forever until about four years ago, and there's a Upright Citizen Brigade theater here, and Ed used to do a lot of uh, improv at that theater, so I'd seen him also for years and years and been a fan, and he's of course on The Office now, and he just, uh, you know, I, I knew he could, uh, we do a lot of improvisation in these movies, and I, I knew Ed could hold his own with Zach, and it's so much um, just about, you know, when you're doing an ensemble comedy, so important that the, um, the styles all come from a different place. In other words, they're all funny, but the, they're, they're funny in very different ways. Zach and Ed couldn't be more different, but they're both hysterical. I'm so sorry. And uh, they're both hysterical, and the point is a lot of times in movies, People cast, I think, a lot of times in comedies, you get cast, casting where you're kind of tapping the same nerve over and over. Like, two people are playing the same angle. And I feel like it, it never works for me, and that's where chemistry doesn't happen. And I think when it does is when they all come from a different place comedically. Yeah, you know, we actually have a great clip with Ed and Zach. Okay. So it's a grandmother's ring. And we'll have a look. Okay. Theory, practice. You guys are acting weird. Look, it's Jade, right? Very funny, Phil. Right, Jade. Um, <clears throat> you remember our friend Doug? Are you kidding? He was the best man at our wedding. Exactly. Well, we can't find him, and we're getting a little worried. Oh, my God. That is so Doug. <laughs> oh. Um, sweetie, I'm, I'm going to go clean him off. Sorry, Daddy didn't mean it. Oh, my God. She is wearing my grandmother's ring. What? The ring I'm going to give to Melissa. You remember my grandmother's Holocaust ring? I didn't know they give out rings at the Holocaust. He's okay. Oh, good. <laughs> he was just hungry. Oh, fine. good. Uh, about last night, um, <clears throat> do you remember uh, last time you saw Doug? <clears throat> I guess it was around one, because I had to go back to work and finish my shift. And then when I got out, I headed over to the hotel with Tyler. I got a question. Um, you said when your shift ended, does that mean you're a nurse? Or a blackjack dealer? You know this, I'm a stripper. Mm -hmm. Well, technically I'm an escort, but stripping's a great way to meet the clients. <laughs> Smart, savvy. <laughs> the, you know, I just realized these clips, these are for talk shows, so they're, they're green band. They, they take out a lot of the joke there. I just realized that, but uh, it's fine. All the more reason to see it when it opens next week. <laughs> I'm like, wait, this is, this is like the one they would show on Conan for uh, Heather or something. But Well, let's talk about Heather because she's another, I mean, obviously she's a veteran, uh, but it's a pretty extraordinary turn by her, too. I, how did you decide on Heather? Well, you know, Heather to me, you know, this film is oddly... It's a comedy, but there's a, there's a lot of darkness in it. And, and Vegas is really like a kind of a dark, unfriendly place, particularly in the day, as weird as that sounds. And every time I see Heather in a movie, she represents sunshine and light to me. She really does. And she, she almost doesn't age. It's amazing. This is 10 years after Boogie Nights. And she just is so sunny and bright. And so I just called her up, honestly, and, uh, and talked to her about the part and offered it to her. And she came in and we talked about it and, and she did it. But she adds a real lightness to this film that, that I think helps balance it because it, it gets dark at times. And you shot the film obviously on location in Vegas. That's got to be, over the period of time it takes to make a feature, that's got to be a little bit of a wear and tear on the, you and a, the <laughs> actors and the whole film crew in general. The crew had a hard time with it more. You know, Vegas is a, is a city of temptation and of distractions. <laughs> and um, we lost a few crew members, I think, to the, to the city, and it's, uh, it's true. It's, 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 you know how there are gateway drugs? Vegas is a gateway city, 
and it just all leads to bad decisions. And um, we we literally would be like, hey, where's the uh, electrician? And they're like, no, 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 there's a new guy. We got a new guy because the wife had flown in and put him in rehab. <laughs> Not literally the electrician, by the way. I'm just making that up. <laughs> we lost a couple guys like that. Uh, it's like the tagline of the movie, some guys just can't handle Vegas, and it really is true. So uh, I happened to, I had a great time. I was ready to go back a week later, but <laughs> some people, three months is a long time. Right, well, and plus you guys shot during the day a we lot shot of the in time. the day, and then we, you know, in the day for a lot of it, because the, the movie, again, is The Hangover. It's the morning after, and you see Vegas in a very different way in this movie, um, because you're so used to seeing it at night and all the lights and all the darkness of night block out all the in-between stuff. And you realize it's a very ugly, very sort of, you know, desperate city sometimes. Yeah, did you want to tell a story about, about Vegas at all? You're, you know, something I mean, I think Vegas things? is a big character in the film, but I necessarily, it wasn't so much that I wanted to tell a story about Vegas. I do think Vegas is, like I said, a place where people go to make bad decisions. I, I, I say that in Vegas, it's just a million alter egos walking around. Nobody goes to Vegas and behaves like themselves. <laughs> It's like everybody goes and gets off the plane and they're going to be that other guy they can't really be at home. So it's a bunch of alter egos all sort of bumping into each other. And I feel like it's just kind of fascinating in that way. Um, Mike Tyson shows up in the film as well. Uh, and he's got actually a much bigger role than the trailer might let on. It's not necessarily a cameo. Um, can you discuss the process of recruiting Mike and casting him and, and directing him? Yeah, when you think of Mike Tyson, the word approachable is not the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> I didn't know that, you know, we wrote that in later when we were rewriting the script. That wasn't even in the script. The tiger wasn't in the script, and we kind of tweaked it, and we wrote in this Mike Tyson scene, and I thought, boy, it would be great if we can get Mike, and let's see what happens. And um, I called his manager, and I sent him the script, and uh, he sent it to Mike, and Mike called me that weekend, and he loved it. And um, he loved the opportunity to, as he put it, show his giddy side which I thought was really cool. And um, because the truth is, you know, he, he got that we weren't making fun of him, but that we were more making fun of his, uh, of people's um, perception of him and sort of fucking with that perception, I'm sorry. And uh, uh, so he understood that and he really came to play and had a great time with it. And he was just, uh, we were, uh, you could ask any of the actors, it was our favorite day. It was the one day in particular that Mike was there. We just had a great time with him. But, but he shot for probably five days. As a director, you just mentioned, you know, approachable is not the word you think of. So you're actually on the set with Mike Tyson. You know, the, everyone's set up. You're there. And it's like, uh, Mike, do this. Mike, yeah. yeah, no, he was very directable. But, but there was one funny thing that happened, which was, um, <laughs> you know, when you, in the movie, he punches Zach in the face. And, and when you throw a movie punch, there's a certain way to do it because you're out of your shoulder, can't block the camera and all that kind of stuff. And Mike didn't know that. He's a boxer. He's just ready to throw a punch. And he kept doing it. And we didn't want to do it too many times because he came really close to Zach. And Zach was like, can we just get this? Because I'm going to die if he hits me. And, and so I said to Mike, so I stepped in. I go, Mike, let me just show you real quick because I am keep blocking the, the main part of this. And I'm literally showing him how to throw a punch. And Mike, on the drop of a, literally turns to Zach and goes, he goes, check this out. I'm getting, I'm getting, to, I'm getting boxing lessons from the captain of the Jewish debating team. <laughs> It's like a perfectly formed, perfectly timed joke by Mike Tyson, and we were all like, all right, he wins. So, so he's a comedy star, too. Now he's going to be in your next film. I mean, it was just like, like out of nowhere. We were, just, we were laughing for five minutes just because it was so unexpected. That's hilarious. That's great. Well, does Mike Tyson have a tiger? Mike had seven tigers when he was at his peak. He owned seven tigers. Now, he's crazy in that way. Uh -huh. Don't tell him I said that. Can we stop the thing? Uh -huh. <laughs> no, he was... Um, 
He did. He owned seven tigers. He doesn't have them now. The city of Las Vegas, in fact, took them away from him because somebody broke into his house. It's a true story. And one of the tigers ripped their arms off, ripped the guy's arm off. And um, why else would you have a tiger? I, mean, I know. Well, it wasn't Mike's fault. I mean, the right, guy right, climbed over into the tiger cage. So a little bit. And we didn't know that when we, Mike told me that story when we were shooting. Yeah. And so it's kind of funny because we came up with that idea of breaking into his house and stealing his tiger. That's what these guys do. They find out the next day. That way we were, we were so screwed up. We were so drunk. We, we broke into Mike's house. And we, you know, so Mike's like, you know, this really happened in a way. And that's why my tigers got taken away. I shouldn't do it in impression either. It's hard. <laughs> I do that. I also, when I direct actors, I always do it in their voice. And Zach literally had to pull me aside and he goes, you have to stop doing Mike Tyson to Mike Tyson. You're going to get killed. Because <laughs> I would like give him line readings as Mike Tyson. Uh, so I would do like a lisp and be like, it was just so offensive. Uh, how, how did that go? How, how long uh, did Mike that liked it. I think he liked the line readings, but Zach was really embarrassed by it. So he's... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe Zach would be embarrassed. I mean, you know, but uh, Zach is a lot more sensitive than you you would you would uh, ever guess. Um, on stage, he's a different animal, but in real life, he he he's just very shy and he can't deal with conflict. He he, he does some. He's pretty extreme in this film, though. And and you you mentioned performance art a bit ago, and I think there is a bit of that kind of bleeds over into the Hangover and his performance. Uh, I guess can you talk about developing his character, especially like you know, pushing those boundaries um, as he does, like you know. Well, it was, it was, you know, with actors, when you're doing a movie, and I, you know, I don't know these, these filmmaker things, if people are here and they're into filmmaking or they're into computers and editing, but, but so I'm going to talk a lot about directing, but I'm not sure if that's that. But what I do with directing is I always give a kind of a, an overall direction to a character that informs it in, in, a, in a way. And um, with Zach, it, the direction was, because again, he's very left-footed and he just doesn't under... And I said, here's the deal, Alan, that's the character's name, I go, Alan is really nice to people who are mean to him and he's really mean to people who are nice to him <laughs> and for Zach it really like made sense he got it he just reads every situation incorrectly and um, it, it filled in a lot of just the little things and then you go from there and, and believe it or not we spend a lot of time you wouldn't know it looking at that but we spend a lot of time in wardrobe figuring out what would Alan wear and what is the thing for his big night out and Zach was really into white jeans and we talked about you know like and it's all things an actor uses to sort of find the character and find the voice I want to get the audience questions in just a moment but uh, yeah. I also just with a follow up to that with regards to the the three uh, characters it's kind of an odd couple plus one almost yeah in, in, in a lot of ways yeah and and so I guess how did how did you kind of work on the chemistry in, in, in that group and, and you know that's another thing and with all the movies that I've done with Road Trip or, or Old School not so much Starsky and Hutch because Ben and Owen had done movies together but when these guys it's so much, so important that the chemistry and that the how they and really they don't really know each other before you start the movie you're gonna go into a movie and, and hope they appear like best friends and as simple as it sounds you just start hanging out a lot together and you start doing dinners at first you know a month before and we drove out to Vegas together to get to the shoot and we like it's just a lot of hanging out and truly becoming friends and it's less awkward than it sounds because they want they're they're going into that with open arms because they want it to work in the same way because it helps them and and you hopefully by the time you start rolling cameras there's a little bit of a friendship I involved and um you know, anybody knows that has friends. When you're nice to somebody, it's not necessarily your friend, meaning you're, you're mean to your friends, you know, in a playful way. And that's like an important thing to be comfortable being mean to each other in, a, in, a, in that way where there's still heart underneath it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
Does anyone in the audience have a question? I believe there's a mic. Is there a mic? Yeah, we have a mic over here. If anyone has a question at all. Uh, gentleman right here in the front row. Yes, sir. Just wait for the mic. Um, I, I don't know how many people know this or you're familiar, but uh, I wasn't even going to bring this up, but the movie uh, Barry Levinson with Diner, he brought everybody into Baltimore, and they were all staying in the hotel for like 10 days or two weeks, and Bacon and Rourke and everyone's coming up and saying, you know, dude, when are we going to start rehearsing? Yeah. You know, and he was like, you know, be patient, be patient. Like, he, he wanted to get that gel. Yeah. So that when they were there, they all seemed like they knew each other from high school and stuff. Yeah. But anyways, just a comment. That I thought you were going to say, and then he's like, by the, before they realized that they were rehearsing just by hanging out and just by doing that. Because in, in a sense, we don't do rehearsals either, but we hang out all the time and we go out and we, you know, it's just a whole process, like you say. So it's good to know, it's, it's to, to hear that some, someone like he does that. And then my question, simple question is, um, are there any scenes or lines or moments in this film that were done with the actor's improv ability that's not on the script. Oh, yeah. He, I don't know much? if you can hear. It was how much, how much is in there that's improv. And in all, in all my movies, you know, I think you'd be a very horrible comedy director if you hire Will Ferrell and Old School or these guys in The Hangover and you don't let them improvise. It's a, it's a big part of it. And it's also just a big part of them feeling comfortable to fuck up and, and to be a safe environment to try things that are crazy that may not work but you just really want that um, atmosphere there my movies often are about mayhem and you don't the worst thing to do is to try and control mayhem you know so instead you just really let it feel like mayhem and a lot of times people will come down to a movie set of mine that have been to other movie sets and they're like what the hell is going on? It's like the inmates are running the asylum. I mean, there doesn't seem to be an, a lot of order to it. But there is, but the order is that there's a lot of disorder and it allows for, uh, you know, I have a very hard time getting assistant directors and DPs. That's not really true, but I have to work with a very specific kind of DP because we very often change what we're shooting. I go, oh, no, no we're not going to do that anymore. We change. They're, what are you talking about? It's in the script. We're going to shoot over here. No, no, we're going to do this funny thing with the baby we just made up with Zach. I don't even want to describe it here. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> And it's like that kind of thing just gets made up on the spot, and, you know, we just change it. So everyone, not just the actors, that works on the movie has to be, like, open to that kind of um, improv. I always say it's, it's, it's not, you know, comedy is not math. It's jazz. <laughs> It's like you got to just sort of go with it, and it's a little bit of a free-floating thing. <laughs> uh, right over here. Yeah. First of all, I just want to say I was fortunate enough to see one of the uh, early screenings, and it's a phenomenal film. Um, without giving anything away, I just want to ask you, was the film shot as scripted? or Because there's a lot of allusion to things that happen that you don't see. Or are there scenes that were shot that were just not included because it would be funnier not to know? Or, or, say that last or were, part. There, were there scenes that were shot that were just not included in the final cut? Oh, no. This, this, the, you know, it's funny. This movie, for me, came together very easily. They're, they're never that, this easy for some reason. And I don't know, this one, I literally edited for eight weeks and we locked picture. We were done. It, it, and a lot of times you'll have to, you cut scenes out because they're not working. And then you do, not reshoots, but you do additional photography because you have to suddenly, you cut out B and C. And so A and D have to go together. You have to shoot a new sort of scene. We didn't do any new shooting on this. And we cut out some scenes, but none of the actual um, 
events of things that happen. So nothing big, but there are moments certainly cut out, and they'll find their way to DVD and stuff like that. And there are improv things that didn't work or went off course. But this thing came together pretty pretty well. And of course, you, if you saw the movie, you see at the end we kind of explain everything, and then I give it away. But it's it's it has a very satisfying ending. Is the is the chicken in the last in the the closing in the ending? Is the chicken ever explained? The chicken is explained in my head, but because people ask about, hey, there's a reason for everything, but some of it's just in my head. And this chicken is there because they stole it because they were going to feed the tiger. Oh, okay. But you wouldn't know that watching the movie. But I, I, I explained that with the guys on the DVD commentary. The chi- I don't, do you, have you seen the uh, the new banners that Warner's has? The chicken is course, actually yeah. uh, <laughs> he's a got character. his own poster. He's got his own poster. The chicken and the tiger. Yeah, where's Doug? Yeah, yeah. it's great. It's funny. Else? They've done a really aggressive marketing campaign. And what I like about the movie and what I try to do with the comedies in general is the style of comedy is very aggressive. I was talking before about how some movies feel a little overly sentimental as if they're trying to justify their bad behavior in the final ten minutes. And I just felt like we didn't need to do that. You don't necessarily need to apologize for the first 90 minutes with ten minutes of, you know, we really, this is kind of an unapologetically funny, hopefully, to people film. And I think that spirit they've kind of captured in a lot of the marketing Warners did, so I'm really happy with that. To the back right. I just wanted to know uh, whether or not, before you come to set, do you already know uh, most of the shots that you're going to shoot that day, or is it more of a get a feel for how it's going to be once you get on set to get a feel for, like, the actors and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, certain things, like, you know, when you do... When you do like like I did Starsky and Hutch and you know we did some stunts in that in that movie and with something like stunts where people are putting themselves in danger because they're driving fast and they're doing this thing you know you have to have a real plan for it but but um and by the way a lot of directors even when they'll shoot two guys just talking at a table will plan out those shots and say oh, we're going to start with an over the shoulder of him onto him and then we're going to turn around and I just don't do that and 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 Ben Stiller used to tell me it's because I was lazy, but it's really not. <laughs> it turned at the end of the shoot, he realized there was a method to my madness. But for me, it's very much again about sort of feeling the way the day is going, and and even feeling how to cover a scene by by watching the scene play out. And very often, the point of view of the scene shifts once you see it get put on its feet in the morning, and you start going. Boy, it's not really, that part's, what we thought was important, it's not really important. The real moment's happening in the back here. So you're going to change the way we shoot this scene. And so I never really have that much of a plan going into it. Um, again, that's why I have to work with, like, patient DPs and assistant directors and all that. Because uh, sometimes they're used to a little bit more of a, you know, structure. Yeah. Is there anyone else? Yes, sir. Oh, there's one gentleman right here in the middle. So you have more credits listed as in development on IMDb than anyone I've ever seen. Um, what's what's up next after this? We're going to see an old school too? First of all, you know, people treat IMDb like it's the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> you, you do realize it's just some 14-year-old in Tampa sitting at his computer that's like... <laughs> so, I, I, but but that said, I, I you know I, I work on a lot of things. I'm, I'm I am busy. I work with a lot of writers, um, and I also write myself. So so the thing I'm going to do next is something I've been writing, and I'm going to finish writing this summer. But 
you know, I hate explaining the movies because the one-liners of my movies always sound retarded. <laughs> They're much better movies than they are in one line. It's like, oh, old school, it's a, it's a bunch of 30-year-olds decide to start a fraternity. It always, it's, I don't know, it just seems to work better than that. So I always hate saying it because then I read it somewhere, some 14-year-old in Tampa does it, and then I'm like, this doesn't sound right. And then I get bummed out on the idea. <laughs> Um, I, I want to ask you, I mean, you started in documentary, obviously, yeah. and uh, you haven't made one in quite a while. In fact, I think the last one you made still hasn't been released, has it? Has it been? Oh, yeah, no, the last one I made was a, on a band called Fish that I made uh, well, right after uh, Road Trip. Right. Yeah. But what, about, what happened with Frat House? Frat House was a movie that we made before that. I, I did three documentaries, and I really started in the business through documentary filmmaking, and um, the second one I made was called Frat House, and it won the... Uh, Sundance Film Festival uh, Grand Jury Prize in 98. And um, the movie was never released. We made it for HBO. There were some legal issues with it. Apparently, uh, you can't give kids weed and then film them. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. Lesson uh, learned. Lesson learned. Uh, you know, things like that. So there were some legal issues with Frat House that never really got settled. Will we ever see Frat House? You know, you can find Frat House on the internet, and uh, people have posted it, and it's, 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 I'm really proud of the movie, but apparently we went around, we went about things, you know, in the, I was thinking I was 25 when we made that movie, and uh, we just didn't do it the right way. I don't want to sound flippant about it, but it's funny to me, but you know, like, the kids all sued because they said that they signed releases, but they only signed releases when they were drunk or stoned, which is true, because it was the best way to get them to sign releases. I didn't know that that was wrong. <laughs> I know better now, but it was a shame. Your, your, your first film, uh, your, or at least the Gigi Allen documentary, Hated, uh, is quite a, kind of a monument in, in a lot of ways uh, in, in pop culture, and music culture, punk culture. And um, in, in, in old school and, and your, your more dramatic films, including The Hangover. Narrative. 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 I'm sorry, exactly. Uh, scripted films. Uh, you, you have a tendency to definitely push the envelope. And Hangover, I think, is as far as you've ever... I, I've, I've seen an R-rated, R-rating pushed you know, in, in years, if ever. Uh, does that, I guess, temptation to push extremes and to really you know, find the line and cross it when you can appeal to you as a filmmaker? Is that just something you, you want to continue doing? I, I never think of it, and you never really think of a line and think about pushing it. You sort of just think of what's funny to you, and, and, and it's never a conscious effort to, to be like, ooh, this is going to shock people, because I really don't like that kind of humor, believe it or not, myself. And I, I never, and I always get bummed out when people describe it as like, oh, it's a gross out, because this is really not gross things in this movie. And, um, but there is a spirit to this movie, and he talks about my first film that I made, which was a documentary on this punk rock singer in... The, I was 21, and it was, I don't know, 1993 or something, and um, we, uh, and there's this guy, Gigi Allen, he ended up dying at the end of the movie, but he was really um, extreme kind of a punk rock guy, and I always feel like the attitude and the spirit of the movies have a little bit of a punk rock feel to them in, in, in that respect, and maybe that's just because of how I grew up and, and those early things, but, but to me it's um, more that, that, that aggressive... Um, that aggressive, kind of obnoxious style of comedy is how I think of it. I never think of it as gross out or pushing the envelope, really. Do you want to make any more documentaries? Have you ever Yeah, yeah. That? I mean, for me, making a movie is all about casting, and making a documentary movie is all about subject matter. And so when you find the right subject matter, that's when I would make a documentary. I feel like documentaries in general, 
got really kind of screwed up with the advent of reality television. I, I feel like documentaries became gimmicks. And I'm not taking away from things like Super Size Me, but that's almost a reality show, and it wasn't really a documentary to me. And I, I felt like documentary kind of took a turn and, and, and became very gimmick-oriented. And, um, and, 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 and so I sort of got, um, got off of the documentaries, just even as a fan for a while. Um, but there are people doing them, and, and Michael Moore continues to do amazing documentaries, I think, and Nick Broomfield continues to make great documentaries. It, it's, it's just about finding the right subject matter. Yeah. Have any more questions at all? And Back right. Oh, okay. Um, since you keep on talking about them, Zach guy, just asking a question, um, you don't really talk about anyone else except for him. Did anyone else have any problem? Have any problems? Yeah, because you keep on talking about um, the Zach guy. Oh, I was talking about Zach because of, he was in that Mike Tyson scene getting punched. Okay. So he happened to be there at that moment where he was getting punched. Okay. Um, I also, I'm in love with him. <laughs> no, he, he's, uh, no, th th there wasn't really any problems. But um, Zach, Zach also, you know, Zach's a real standout in this film in, in a way. And if you've seen it, uh, you saw it. And he really kind of captures the movie in, in, in uh, he didn't steal the movie, but he's, he's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing turn in the film. And quite honestly, I just, had lunch with him, so maybe I'm being affected by that, but... <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, you look at the, the, the breakouts, like Will Ferrell was, I mean, he was a star before old school, but I mean, he was like, you know, that really was a kind of a star-making performance in, in, in a lot of ways, and, and this is a star-making performance for Zach. And I hope it is, yeah. So do you talk to him about that? Has he, has he, I mean, what discussions have you had in terms of, you know... Zach is, Zach is somebody who, who is very resistant to being a star, believe it or not, in a real authentic way, not in the humble, like, kind of hopes it happens. Zach has a real resistance to it. Zach lives on a farm in North Carolina when he's not shooting or, or doing comedy. He, he's not loving that sort of um, Hollywood life that maybe is around the corner if he's, you know, continues to do more films or what have you. Um... But I do think it's going to be inevitable and it's going to happen. I mean, there's a huge six-page feature on him that's coming out this Sunday in the New York Times and the magazine. I mean, it's just stuff like that. He's starting to really get recognized. Today in the Wall Street Journal, they did a two-page piece on Zach. Here I go again. But uh, <laughs> the um, uh, anyway, I think this could be a star-making performance for him. And, and Will, you're right. Will was on Saturday Night Live. Will had been around. Old school kind of put him into the forefront in movies in a way, but, uh, and then he went on to do Elf and a lot of um, great things, but I think this could be that for Zach. And I, and I also think, you know, the other two guys, Ed Helms is, is, is I can see Ed doing a lot of movies and, and really connecting, and Bradley Cooper's just on fire, but he was kind of on fire before our movie anyway. Any more questions at all? I only have a few minutes left, so uh, speak now. There's, oh, it's one gentleman. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned that uh, you can do what you want to if you stay below a certain uh, price. Is it fair to say that uh, you could no longer do that with a Will Ferrell or uh, the Owen Brothers or something like Stay below that bar where they don't give you any flack for what you're doing? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's so important to stay under a certain number and really have the run of the show and the freedom to do it. Um, but then if you get a Will Ferrell in the movie, it's a different, it's a different kind of, uh, it's an uptown problem in a way. In other words, then you don't have to worry about, 
the good thing about having n no stars or no name actors is you have the freedom to really screw around and make exactly what you want and hopefully the movie works because of that. But what will get you is a whole different thing. You have a star and, and that the movie's gonna probably work because of that. You know, so it's sort of a you know half of one, six dozen of the other. For this film and for certain films I think there's a real reality that it gets added when you if you look at that poster and you imagine Jack Black, Owen Wilson and um, whoever you know, it changes the movie in, in, a, in a big way, and um, there's something, there's a reality, I think, that comes with faces that you haven't seen that much, that I think really is additive to this film. Not to take away anything of those guys, those guys are great, but this is kind of perfect for what this film is. And um, in a weird way, when he was talking about, there's a lot of buzz on the movie, and there's a lot of heat, part of that, I think, with all due respect, I think the movie's really funny and it works, but, but part of that is because when you make a movie with people that people don't know that well, they feel like they're discovering it. And when people feel like they're discovering something with you, they have a sense of ownership and a protectiveness over it. It sounds crazy, but I really do feel like it's like there's a sense of ownership over something where we all feel like we're getting into this together. And uh, it becomes an underdog thing, but it also becomes a discovery at the same time. So uh, I think that's part of it. Um, anyone else? To the back oh, here. Okay. All right, uh, this is a, more of a uh, directing actors question. Uh, I remember you saying that uh, a lot of improv went on during the shoot. <clears throat> what if um, there was some improv that you didn't like or that didn't really work for the scene? How do you handle that? Uh, you know, like not making the actors feel awkward. Like Right, that. yeah. Well, the truth is you handle it in editing. You know, you, you, you let it all happen because the worst thing you could do, I think, as a director is, is, is rein people in, in a comedy at least. I mean, you know, it really depends on the movie, but in my kind of comedies, which are just about ridiculousness and, you know, and, and like I said, mayhem, the last thing you want to do is rein that sort of thing in. However, you also don't want to just be shooting random improv all day long, so as long as my rule with the guys, and the only rule really, is as long as our improv is existing in the world of the movie and of the character, as long as it's Ed, Ed's character's name is Stu, as long as Stu is saying the line and it's something Stu would say and it's not Ed Helms just making a joke, then let's go all day doing that. But the second it starts getting out of the world of the movie or, or the world of the character, it's just we're never going to be able to use that as funny as it can be. So that's the only time where I kind of rein it in. But other than that, I think just the nature of improv is, like we said, it's just very organic and just kind of letting stuff happen. Thank you. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you very much. For, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Hangover opens June 5th. Thank you for coming, Todd. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Sue. And uh, check out MovieLine.com. Thank you all for coming, and have a great weekend. I appreciate it.